Now, I hope that everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. I hope that you had a great time with your friends, your family, thanking and, and praising the Lord for all of His goodness in your life. Now, one of the things that I had the chance to do last week that I'm very thankful for is that I had the opportunity to go to an Orlando Magic basketball game with one of my best friends, Carl. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. I haven't been to an NBA game in several years. I don't watch it on TV a whole lot anymore either. Uh, because, you see, I love the game of basketball, but I don't really love any specific team anymore. And I kind of realized uh, what that has done for me as a fan when I went to the game. When I went to the game, I realized that I've kind of just become a casual fan of the game of basketball. Let me describe to you what that means. When I went to the game, I wasn't wearing a magic jersey or shirt. didn't have a foam finger or anything like that. I liked the team. I cheered when they scored. I was happy that they won. But I wasn't going to lose sleep if they lost either. Uh, I couldn't really tell you what their record was. Uh, I couldn't tell you anything about any of their players, nothing like that. That's, that's really the casual fan. Now, I used to be more like a regular fan of the sport. Now, the regular fans, those are the ones who they tell you the record and tell you some stuff about the players. They, they watch a lot of games. They, they're invested. But then there are the diehards. <laughs> yeah, we all know who I'm talking about when we talk about diehard fans. They're the ones who can tell you everything about the team. They can tell you everything about the players, their stat lines, their names. They can tell you their favorite foods, their home address. All right, these fans know everything. And they're so invested in the outcome of the game that, well, if the team loses, it just ruins that fan's whole day. All right, the diehards love the team. And you know that they love the team. You know it because of the things that they say about the team, how they talk about it. You know by the way that they act when the team wins and loses. Their actions show that they love the team. I was reminded of that this week. And, and you know, in a similar way, when any of us, when we, when we love someone or love something, that love is going to be seen in what we say we do. It, it's true that there are loving feelings, feelings of affection that we have for people. But ultimately, love is demonstrated. And the same thing is true in our love for God, believers. Yeah, every Christian that I've ever met says that they love God, but is that true in our lives? Andrew, how could you say that? Of course we love God. Okay, but where's the proof then? You know, it's, it's obvious when someone loves their sports team, you can see it. Church, when people see us, is it obvious that we love God? There's a man in the Bible who undeniably loved God, and his name was David. You know, before David became the king of Israel, before he famously slew Goliath, before his story even begins in the Bible, he is described in 1 Samuel chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart. And then, and then when we do meet David in the narrative, and when we do read his story, we find that that description, that's true. And we realize that that wasn't true because David was perfect, because he never did anything wrong. Because he always obeyed God. No, that's not why. No, David was a man after God's own heart because he loved God with all his heart. And this morning, as we turn to Psalm 63, a psalm written by David, we're going to get a, a little picture of that heart of his 
And through that, I pray that we would better understand what it looks like for us to be believers in love with God. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Psalm chapter 63. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 463. Page 463. Psalm 63. Now, if you're looking in the Bible here in the sanctuary or your Bible from home, you'll see at the very top, the text tells us that this is a Psalm of David. When he was in the desert, some of your translations might say the wilderness all right, of Judah. Now, many scholars believe that this is referring to the time when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. All right? Absalom tried to take the kingdom away from his father, David. So David and those faithful to him, they fled into the wilderness. It's likely that that's a situation that David found himself in as he wrote Psalm 63. It's likely that's a situation that he found himself in. I want you to think about that for just a second. How many of us have ever had to flee into the wilderness for our lives? Show of hands? No. We've never had to do anything like that. David did it more than once. So we've got to figure out which time it was. And the reason I wanted to point to that is because believers, I think it's always good for us to remember that even giants in the faith face giant difficulties in their lives. And I just want you to be encouraged by that. But what made David a giant in the faith in the first place. Well, I believe that it was his love, his love for God. And we're going to get a picture of that this morning. Psalm 63, look at verse 1. David writes this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Stop here for just a second. Listen again to what David said at the beginning. He said, you, God, are my God. The person who is in love with God doesn't see God as some far off, distant being, unconcerned with them. No, no, no. The first mark of someone in love with God is that they have a personal relationship with Him. Amen. That's when He goes from the one true God of the universe who created me to my God, the one who saved me. Now, how does that happen? How, how can you have that personal relationship? Well, friend, understand, it's only, it's only when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in His death on the cross for our sins and in His resurrection from the dead. It is through that that our sins are forgiven and through Him that we enter into that relationship with God. That's why one evangelist said that a, a question he likes to ask people when he's sharing the gospel, kind of figure out where they are spiritually, is he likes to ask, who is Jesus to you? Because, you see, especially in our country, you'll meet plenty of people who can tell you, well, Jesus is the Son of God, He died on the cross, and He rose from the dead. And they'd be right. That's who Jesus is. But that's not the question. The question is, who is Jesus to you? Is He your God? Is He your Savior? Is He the one in whom your hope is found? David said, you, God, you're my God. And you'll never truly love God until He is the God of your life. 
So that's first and foremost for us this morning. In fact, I was reading just the first verse, and it reminded me this week of one of the saddest moments, in my opinion, in the story of King Saul's life. King Saul was David's predecessor. He was the first king of Israel. You see, Saul disobeyed God's commands, and so one day Saul was told that for his sin, God was going to take the kingdom away. He's going to choose a new king, okay, and that new king was David. And, and Saul was talking with the prophet Samuel who had confronted him, and at one point Saul begged Samuel, and Saul said, I have sinned. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. You know, when you read Saul's story, you just don't find the same love for God that you do with David. And my point here isn't to make an argument about whether or not Saul was saved. My point is that if we do have that personal relationship with God, and if we love God, then believer, how is it that we do talk about God to others? He's not just the God of all creation. He's, he's my God. Yeah, but this is just the starting point of our love for him, okay? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that we love him because he first loved us. Every Christian has a relationship with God, and we should love him. But just like every husband and wife should love one another, that love is seen in what they do. So again, how do we show our love for him? Well, one part of any loving relationship is when both sides intentionally spend time with one another. And here in these first two verses, we find that David was earnestly seeking God. One mark of a believer in love with God is that we will pursue him. We're going to seek him out. Why? Because he's our God. Not only did he create us, but he saved us. He adopted us into his family. He has a purpose for us. He's there to hear us when we cry out to him. He's our God. And if we love him, we will seek him. We're going to want to spend time with him. We won't desire to go a day away from the joy of his presence. David said he desired God like a thirsty and exhausted person desires water. Have you ever, you ever had that type of thirst? He just had to have some water. And not too long ago, the water fountain down in our gymnasium here at church was having some troubles. One day we came in and we pushed the button and... Well, the water was barely coming out. You basically had to put your mouth on the nozzle to drink any, and we do not recommend that. <laughs> then a few days later we came. You pushed the button, and it was spraying so far, we had to move a trash can near the fountain just to catch some of the water that was casting off. And then eventually it just, it just stopped working. And I would have guys come in on Thursday nights to play basketball, and they'd play in a couple games, and then they'd walk off the court, they were tired, they went to the water fountain, and nothing came out. Also, what they did, they just sit there in their thirst. No, they couldn't do that. So what they started doing was they would drive or walk. They'd leave. They'd, they'd walk or drive and go to the gas station, get a Gatorade or get something to drink, and then they came back and they would keep playing. Because if you've ever been exhausted and thirsty, you know that you're going to do what you've got to do to fill that thirst. And the believer who is in love with God will so desire to be in his presence They'll desire to spend time with him. And so to fill that spiritual thirst, we're going to seek him out. We're going to look for time in our day to be with him. We will make time in our day 
to be with him. We want to pursue his will. We want to pursue his presence. We want to spend time in scripture and in prayer. This whole time, as David's being pursued by enemies, David was looking for ways to pursue God. I mean, he had beheld God's power and glory in the sanctuary and in his own life. So, so look, David knew that even in his circumstance, God was still great. God's still worthy of being pursued. And because he loved God, David did that. He pursued God. Not only that, look at verse 3. David said, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. See, another mark of loving God is that we will praise Him often. David said that he was going to praise God as long as he lived. Why? Because God's love is better than life. That is an astounding statement in David's situation. Because let's be honest, for some of us, when, when we're in the wilderness of life, when things are desperate, when they're hard, uh, that's when some of us, we start to think, maybe God doesn't love me anymore, at least not as much as I used to think that he did. Now, David didn't doubt God's love for him, and why should we? Just because our, our difficulties abound. It doesn't mean we should doubt his love. Many years ago, there was a child who suffered from polio. And as a result of, of the polio, like many who suffered from it, he lost his ability to walk. And he was a very young, young boy. But the doctor assured his parents, as the sickness faded, he assured them that their son could regain his ability to walk. But, he said, he said, you must keep up the regular course of exercise that I'm going to prescribe. And, he said, you can't wait on him more than necessary. You have to insist that he try and help himself. And you know what? At the beginning, as the child tried to do these exercises, he he experienced a lot of pain. He would cry out to his parents, just beg them to make it stop, to pick them up, to help them do these things. And their hearts were torn, this mother and father. But because they were focused on his future, they knew they couldn't give in to every single one of his cries. So hour by hour, day by day, month by month, they encouraged him to do the exercises, to, to do what he could on his own, to try and do the things that other kids his age could do. And you know what? When he grew up, as a young man, his legs were as strong as anyone else's. He didn't have a limp. didn't have any pain. There were no outward trace of that polio. But perhaps to others, and maybe even to that child as he grew up, the parents may have seemed harsh. But they allowed the hardship of that rehab so that he would have a greater future. They did it because they loved him. You know, sometimes, believers, God allows us to go through some hardship and it may be that that hardship is so that we would simply grow in our faith. Perhaps it's for discipline's sake for sin, which was certainly what David was going through with this rebellion from Absalom. But all the while, God's love hasn't disappeared, and it never will. Christian Romans chapter 8, verse 39 tells us that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us is never going to run empty. It's never going to fail us. never going to end in our lives. And you know what? That's something for us to rejoice in, isn't it? So as for David, when he was in the literal wilderness of life, when he wasn't sure what God was up to, what was going on, what was going to happen, what tomorrow was going to hold, what he was sure of, is that God's love is better than life. And so he was going to praise him. I mean, after all, what in this life can compare to the love of God? Really, what can? I mean, can comfort or, or fame or riches? Remember, David had had all those things before. But now he was in the wilderness. Well, he was away from the comfort of the palace. No more catered meals. There's no comfy bed. He was away from the riches and the wealth that he had lived in. Fame. People had deserted him to follow his son Absalom. His family was in disarray. But David, David knew that God's love was better than all those things. So, So David talked about being fully satisfied in God like someone who's had the finest of foods. You ever had a really nice meal, whether you went out somewhere, somebody made you a meal, it was just, it was the best. Oh, and that meal makes us happy when we have a meal like that. When a satisfaction like that, you can't help but be content. You can't help, in this case, David says, but sing to God. See, the believer who loves God knows that God isn't going to stop loving them just because their circumstances are hard. Instead, they're going to look to God for the satisfaction of their weary soul. And not only that, that believer is going to lift up their tired hands to praise him. They're going to sing God's praises because his love is better than life. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote. When the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was writing from prison. He was in prison for his faith. He wrote to these believers. And listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 11 where he said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I don't know about you, but I read David in Psalm 63, I read Paul in Philippians chapter 4, and I think to myself, I, I want a contentment like Paul had. I want a satisfaction like David talked about when they're going through all these hardships. And believers, when we are in love with God, that's when we realize that his love is better than everything else in life. And because only he can satisfy our weary soul, that's when we get to the point where we realize we're going to gratefully worship him and him alone, no matter what circumstance we're going through. Not only that, look at verse 6. David continued and he said, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. David thought about God. How often do we think about the Lord? Outside of Sunday services. How often do we think about the Lord? David thought of the Lord often. Even when he laid down to sleep, God was on his mind. See, another mark of loving God is that we're going to think about him often. 
He's going to be on our minds. He's going to be the ultimate focus of our thoughts. Now, does this mean that we only ever think about God? No. But when we look back, when we evaluate where our mind has been that day, we know that much of that time was on the Lord who loves us. We're going to think about Him because we love Him. When I was in college, Casey and I, we, we dated long distance for quite a while. And so sometimes we, we would send letters to each other in the mail. I don't know why, because like phones and email existed. But there is something special about a handwritten letter. But of course, that means there's quite a bit of waiting that happens, right? And I still remember how every time, every time I'd write her a letter, the moment I put it in the mail, I would start thinking about when she would get it what she would think when she read it, what she would write back to me, when she would send the letter, when I would get her letter, when I'd get to read her letter. And I'd think about that every day until her letter finally came. I just thought about it all the time. I thought about her all the time. She was always on my mind because I love her. I think often of her. Do we think often of God, believer? I mean, about his goodness, about his deliverance, like we talked about last week, about his will for us, about his purpose in our situation, about his word to us. Do we think about God? He's the greatest subject that we could dwell on. And in a time when David was surely thinking about the danger and the trouble that he was in, when he faced all these uncertainties, his thoughts were still geared towards God. God was on his mind most, not just in times of joy, but in times of danger. Because David loved God, and because of that love, he wasn't going to allow his circumstances to distract him from focusing on the one whom he loved. What about us? It's a little bit more for us to see. Look at verse 8. David said, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Another mark of loving God is that we will trust him. David trusted God to take care of his enemies, to uphold him, and to take care of the situation around him. David said, I cling to you. My youngest son is in this phase that I know won't last forever, but I wish it would, where multiple times a day when I'm at home, he'll come up to me and he'll say, Dad, I need you, need you. So I'll pick him up. I'll give him a hug. He'll refuse for me to put him down. Sometimes I'll try and he'll lift his feet up so that he doesn't touch the ground. <laughs> but sometimes while I'm holding him, he'll look at me and say, Dad, I need you. And I'll tell him, yeah, I'm holding you. I couldn't be more with you than I am right now. And he'll, he'll cling even tighter to me. And isn't that what we ought to do with Jesus, believer? Believer, Jesus made it clear in John chapter 10 that no one's ever going to snatch us out of his hand. 
God already holds us. He's never going to let us go. But what a joy it is for us as his children to cling even tighter to him. That in our love for him, we would grab hold of him. That we would take shelter under the shadow of his wings. Trusting in his goodness and his justice in our situation. Even if those things feel a long time coming, that we would cling tighter to him. And and understand, I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy when we're in difficulties. I'm not saying that we're never going to face doubts. In fact, if you go home, and I'd encourage you to do this, and you go and you read in 2 Samuel the story of David fleeing from his son Absalom, as you do, you'll find that early on, David had some doubts. He wasn't really sure if God was going to restore him. He didn't know if God was for him or if God was for Absalom. But then we come to this psalm and we find that here, despite those doubts, David chose to trust wholeheartedly that God was going to keep him safe and give him victory. David said, my enemies, they will be destroyed. He said, they will be given over to the sword. The king, that's David, will rejoice. Now, one pastor mentioned that this wasn't self-confidence that we're reading in David. This was God-confidence that we see in him. He was confident in the Lord. Why? Because he trusted the God he loved. And why wouldn't he trust God? I mean, as a young shepherd boy, David saw how God delivered him from the lion and the bear. Liver Goliath into his hands. He saw countless enemies of Israel fall before them because of God's strength. Surely these enemies before David were no match for his great God. He trusted God. Now, I feel I should make a brief note here on these verses, by the way, because I've seen many believers with, at times, good intention misapply these, misapply these to their lives. Um, So a few things for us to remember, by the way. David was fighting literal, physical enemies. This was a war situation that he was in. Uh, The application for us from these few verses we just read is not that when Sister Dorothy hurts our feelings at church, that we pray she becomes food for jackals, okay? That's not the proper application of these verses. We need to keep David's situation in mind, okay? We need to remember that God's people today, we have not been called to strive against flesh and blood. Uh, our, Our battles are primarily spiritual battles. We strive against the devil who would love to see God's people fall. But what we need to see is that in David's trial, he was going to choose to trust that God would bring about justice and goodness. And there's a good application for us to focus on in these three verses that we just read. David had seen God do great things before. He knew that no plan of man could thwart the plan of God, and so he was going to trust God. And believers, we can trust God too. That that when he says, nobody's going to snatch us out of his hands, We can trust nobody's going to snatch us out of his hands. We can trust him. We can trust that he is going to keep his word to us. So when God promises in the Bible to be our source of comfort, to bring us peace, when he promises to give us wisdom when we ask him, or to rescue us from temptation when we look to him, when he promises to provide for us, we can trust him in these things. We must choose to do that, though. It is a choice that we must make. In fact, that is what love is, believers. It is a choice that we must make. Love, it is. You ever wonder how it is that the Scripture commands us to love our enemies? 
we're never going to feel like loving our enemies, right? We must choose to love them. And then we demonstrate that love by praying for them and acting righteously towards them. We might not always feel love towards our spouse or children, okay? But we've been commanded to love them. And so we choose to do that. And part of that is demonstrating that love by doing things like putting their needs before our own. And church, we have been commanded to love our great God. So do we. Believers, do we love God? The believer who loves God is actively seeking Him in daily lives. That believer is, because they're seeking Him, they're going to continually be praising Him. Because they're thinking often about Him. But not only that, that believer is going to be found trusting the Lord and clinging to Him in all their situations, both the good and the bad. And you know what? A faith and a love like that, it's not going to go unnoticed. It's going to be seen. And that's the truth that I want us to understand. The truth this morning is that loving God is seen in how we live our lives. Loving God is seen in how we live our lives. We can talk all day about loving God, and we should. But where is the proof of that in our lives? Now, keep in mind what I said at the very beginning. This psalm, just a glimpse There are other ways that we can demonstrate our love for God. And the chief of them, the most important way, is this, believer. The Bible is very clear time and time again that if we love God, we will obey God. And so we could not end without briefly discussing that. 1 John 5, verse 3 says, This is love for God, to keep His commands. Jesus said multiple times in John 14 the same thing. In John 14, verse 15, He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, he said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If we love him, it's going to be seen in a life that is characterized by obedience. So, believer, my encouragement for all of us this morning is to evaluate in our lives, do we mean it when we say we love God? And if so, in what areas are we not showing and demonstrating that love for him? Maybe we know We haven't been living in obedience in some areas. We're quick to say we love God, but then we're okay with the sin we've been keeping on the side. But we know that we need to address that. Or maybe we say that we love God, we're not spending time with Him. We realize all the things we allow into our life that crowds Him out. We need to take care of some of those things. Maybe there's some of us here who know that we don't think about Him often. We're not praising Him continually. Believers, for some of us, there's some things we need to address this morning so that we can truly say that we love God and that we are living a life that demonstrates that. And I know that there are some of you here who do love Him wholeheartedly. You're working on these things. We're all going to fail and struggle in these areas at times, believers, and we need to address them so that we can better love our Lord and Savior. And if you're here today, believer, and you're just ready to get to the praise, you just want to praise Him because you love Him, And that's how he's moving in your heart right now. You just want to sing your praise. We're going to give you the chance to do that in just a moment as we sing a final song. But believer, however it is is that the Holy Spirit is leading in our hearts for us to respond, let's respond during this invitation time. And if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you can't say with David that God is your God if that's true for you. Friend, I want you to, to hear what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says. It's very important. 
Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrated his love for you this way. That while you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for you. That's how he demonstrated his love for you. That's how he demonstrated his love for all of us. Despite our sin, despite all these bad things we do, our sin which is keeping us from him, Jesus died to take the penalty and punishment of that sin. In other words, rest assured, God does love you. But if you want to step into that relationship with him, if you want to be forgiven of that sin, if you want to be pardoned from the penalty of hell after this life, well then, friend, the question is, are you going to give your life to him? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, the moment you make that decision by faith, you enter into a relationship with him that will never end. He'll pick you up in his hands. He will never let you go. And you'll get that opportunity to love him forever. He already loves you. He wants to save you. And if you're ready to give your life to him, you can do that before you leave. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, you're here, Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, please understand that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to make you right. He wants to bring you into a relationship with Him. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to repent of those sins, admit that you're a sinner, you need to give your life to Him, you can do that right now. You can pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I I know I've broken your commands. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid the penalty for those sins. And, And Jesus, I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin and to be my Savior. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. I'm ready to follow you. Father, if there's anybody who made that decision this morning, I pray that they would share it before they leave with somebody, anybody in this place. And that the ones who hear it would rejoice. And for those of us who have made that decision, Father, who can say that that we are your children, we've been saved by you, I, I pray that we would desire to love you more and more every day. And Father, I know that for some of us here, we we want to do that, and we realize that there are things that have gotten in the way of us loving you. We haven't been spending time with you. We've just, we let other things get in the way. We need to cut those things out of our life so that we can spend time with you. For, for some of us, there are some sins that we've just been holding on to. And we know, we know that they're affecting our relationship with you. I pray you'd convict our hearts. It's time to let those sins go. Repent of them. Put them far behind us so we can pursue you. Father, there are some of us who who just need to learn to praise you more. And so as we sing this final song, I I pray that that the music from our lips would honor and glorify you. And I pray, Father, that when we're in this community, when we're with our friends and our family, and when the lost see us, it would be obvious to them there's somebody who loves Jesus Christ. And that through that, you'd be glorified. 
Father, we do love you. Help us to show you that more and more day by day. And we thank you as always for loving us more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.